0: Hello, I'm Andrew Pierce. It's Monday, December the 27th and welcome to another festive edition of The Andrew Pierce Show. Today we've handpicked a selection of some of our weirder stories from the year. So the journalist Katie Glass broke up with her boyfriend in the first lockdown and she went without sex for 12 months, the longest time in her adult life. She says it was completely liberating and that when she did finally have sex again... It was like losing her virginity all over again, and she now feels in much less of a hurry to get into a relationship. She joins me now. Katie, why did lockdowns put you off sex?
1: (laughs) I don't know if lockdown put me off sex. I mean, some of it was practical, right? Because you couldn't see them. You couldn't meet. No, you couldn't see them. You had to do sort of Skype dates, Zoom dates. Yeah, Yeah. not Um, very romantic,
2: are
0: they? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, there, no, definitely no touching. And then there was a sort of unromantic, you know, you'd go on a walk in the park, maybe, and be at arm's length from someone. Mm. Um, so I not it wasn't like I thought, right, that's it. I hate sex and everyone has sex again. It was sort of I was forced into a situation of having come out of this big relationship, not being able to sort of meet someone in person. Mm. And so I would say more found myself going without sex for a year and then was surprised actually to be quite into it.
0: Yeah. How long were you in the relationship for that broke up?
1: Uh, We'd been together for six years.
0: That's quite a long time. And so you went out without sex for 12 months, the longest time in your adult life. Why was it liberating?
1: Well, I sort of wrote about, you know, how I think maybe as women in particular, but like I think everyone, you get quite consumed with sort of sex nowadays, right? So you're a teenager and everyone's like, are you doing it? Are you not doing it? And then in my twenties, I was probably like very worried about all the men I fancied. Did they fancy me? Was I like, good looking enough? Um, you know, who am I getting enough? Because you know, you feel like everyone's having sex in their twenties. Then in my thirties, I was engaged and I sort of was trying to have a baby. So yeah. I guess sex became about getting pregnant. So then I, this coincided with me turning forty, right. and um, I guess it was like a, it was the first time I didn't really have to think about someone else. I, I really stopped thinking about, you know, worrying, I suppose, about am I attractive enough, am I sexy enough? Mm. You know, there was no one around to worry if they would fancy me. I didn't have to worry about things like shaving my legs and, um, you know, just I think you can get very consumed with that as a woman. Yes. It's not just about am I good looking enough. It is like it is a lot of it about am I attractive enough, am I sexually attractive enough? So I just Do, sort of um, yeah. stopped worrying about it. And I compared Do, it to that scene in Gone Girl, you know, where she drives off and she's scoffing candy and, like, it's quite yeah. liberating.
0: Yeah. Do you think um, uh, I mean, obviously, you, 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 you've got male friends, too. Is there more pressure on the woman? Because, for instance, I've never shaved my legs. Uh, I've never <laughs> shaved under my arms. Now, uh, I have to shave my, my, my face every day. But these are issues that perhaps blokes don't think about.
1: Oh, it is a 100%, I think, even, I mean, I like to think of myself as a feminist. I'm not, like, yeah. particularly obsessed with, like, wearing makeup all the time or anything. Yeah. But definitely, you know, in Fleabag, I think there's scenes where she, she, she jokes about someone comes over to your house and you have to quickly pull yourself together and make yourself look amazing and pretend that's how you were sitting around, dressed as, uh, just looking hot anyway. I mean, yeah. A, I don't know, um, but if you got a cool thing, you know, come over, maybe you could just rock over, whereas a woman would think, oh, God, I've got to shave my legs, maybe I've got yeah. a nice dress on, what's the underwear a, like?
0: Yeah, skirt, yeah, all that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's, it's never never been a factor. Now, as there's also, <laughs> your life has also changed in another way, Katie, because I read a fascinating piece you wrote in the Evening Standard the other day about the fact you've moved into a small, well, bijou is a one way of putting it, or tiny, you couldn't even swing a cat in it, caravan now that won't be great for your sex life either i wouldn't have thought
1: well i don't know so i, was, I don't know if the caravan and, and not sleeping with anyone are connected to be honest um i would say that i had quite a lot of men saying oh they think it's quite cool maybe oh. i'm a bit mad and brave yeah, yeah. running off to live in a van but practically certainly um yeah. it's not the best yeah. <laughs> place to but, get any action. But, <laughs>
0: but why did you ra- run up to move in a van because it's just too expensive to buy a property
1: No, well, the the property market has gone so wild with so many people moving out of London and other cities in lockdown um, that to buy something, even to rent something, you turn up and these properties go overnight. And Airbnb, you know, I was paying sort for Airbnbs for, I think I've been looking for something for like a year now, trying to buy something.
3: Mm. And in the
1: end, I thought I'll cut my losses and buy this silly little van. Um, But I guess it hasn't been great for my sex life, no. No. You know, practically, there's not a lot of
0: room. But you do, but you are really enjoying that as well, aren't you? living in the caravan
1: oh yeah so the, the caravan's been an epiphany i mean it, it seemed like a desperate measure when i bought it like you know god it's reached the end of the road i'm going to go and live in this van and it's like a silly mini little happy paradise that i filled with
0: very oh. nice hunting
1: you know, and i'm by a field of sheep and,
0: How nice. and i'm wondering
1: why i'm going to go and spend all my money on a house
0: really yeah why, why, why <laughs> bother yeah you don't have to pay you probably don't have to pay council tax and all that old stuff where which part of the world are you in are you in um, which part of the countryside are you in
1: the caravan and me are in Somerset.
0: Lovely part uh, of the world. Lovely part of the world. So, Katie, yeah, uh, yeah. now you now you got back into sex because after 12 months, was it great?
1: Oh, uh, was it great? Um, I suppose it was, really. I sort of wrote about the fact that, yeah, I reclaimed my body, stopped yes. caring, stopped not going to shave my legs, and then yeah. went through a whole thing where I for myself started getting very fit, um, going to the gym, and I think probably the sort of endorphins and adrenaline of yeah. that you start to think come oh, on actually it'd be quite nice to meet someone again so yeah, nice. I think when I you know maybe maybe it gave me a long time to think about the reasons i had been having sex before yes. you know the, the sort of desperation things I was talking about in my 20s and teens mm-hmm. and um, 30s and maybe now I was like actually I'm going to do this because I want to and I think I came with a really different attitude so that definitely made it better.
0: Good and is he a regular? Is he a is he a serious boyfriend?
1: Is he a regular.
0: <laughs> serious boyfriend.
1: Like, um, we saw each other for a while and it didn't work out. But oh know, well, all...
0: it, was fun. it was it was, was fun. A few it months. was fun while it lasted, Katie. Katie, it you've was. been a joy to talk to. Good luck with um your sex life and good luck with the caravan in Gloria Somerset.
1: Thank you so much. It's so lovely to speak to you again.
0: And to you, that's Katie Glass, the writer journalist. Thanks for joining us. Accents, all important, aren't they? But in fact, distinct northern accents like Scouse and Geordie, they could be gone for good in as little as 45 years, according to a new study. Using physics modelling, researchers from the universities of Portsmouth and Cambridge have predicted how accents are likely to change across England. Dr James Burridge is a reader in Probability and statistical physics at the University of Portsmouth, and he's one of those behind the research. And he joins me now, Dr. Burridge. Um, you and I speak to each other with bland, boring Southern accents, but your research is suggesting those lovely, rich Northern dialects and accents are fading out. Why?
3: Well, uh, the, the physics explanation is that dialects and accents are a result of local copying. So people like, well, when they learn to speak, they try to, they like to uh, line their speech up with what they hear around them. Yeah. And when people aren't moving around very much, as has been the case, if you go further back into the past, that meant that you could get lots of distinctly local forms of alignment in in different places in the country. But as the um, rate of migration and movement of people around the country has grown, those very small, local, distinctive areas have expanded and features have taken over other features and gradually we're losing this diversity and uh, getting a, a more uniform and simple picture.
0: That's quite interesting because, I mean, I, I know that um, I've got a great friend um, who's from uh, near Sunderland uh, and he speaks, when I see him, he's, he, he sounds to me like he's got a northern accent. When he comes back, when he goes home to Sunderland, he comes back, he's much more pronounced his accent is much more pronounced and then of course it just starts fading back again
3: yes well we we believe that the 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 most plastic time in your language learning abilities is when you're quite young so you know an adolescent yeah or younger and that's when you form most of your linguistic features but that doesn't mean that later in life you can't adapt to your local environment and certainly people do do that but when you relax, you're likely to regain some of those features that you learned in your youth, even if you have suppressed
0: them. uh I see. Reasons, I see. Uh, later on. Um... It's, so has this been happening over a number of years, Dr. Burridge, the beginning to, to see the, the, the fading of these distinctive northern accents? Uh, because the, 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 the number of people going to university, for instance, has dramatically increased. Many of them might be going to Oxford or Cambridge or universities in the south. And the labour force has been much more mobile, certainly since I've been at work in the last 40 years.
3: Yes, so our study really focused on the 20th century. So we took a, um, a huge uh, dialect survey that was actually carried out in the 1950s, uh, but it, it, it surveyed very quite old people then. So it really captures the state of the language much earlier in the century. And then there was huge diversity. And over the 20th century, that diversity has has disappeared largely, leaving some, you know, um, geographical variation by the 20th century, by the end of the 20th century, but nowhere near as much. And our, our, our sort of approach was to treat the map as the outputs of a, of a physics model, a model of alignment, mm. which interestingly produces bubble surfaces. That's the kind of, that's the fundamental thing that's changing, these boundaries between different Uh, language regions and evolved those bubbles through the 20th century. Uh, So, yeah, the answer to your question is there was a huge amount of diversity 100 years ago. Lots of it's gone. And and if you run our model forward into the future, even more of it goes. But there are some special features that for certain reasons that are to do with physics are extremely stable.
0: Uh, Well, what are they?
3: So I think you and I probably say... Uh, bath
0: for yes, the big metal
3: thing that you wash.
0: Yeah, in. Um,
3: yeah. But there is a line um, stretching from the wash uh, on the east coast down to the River Severn on, on the west coast. And when you cross that line, fairly quickly you go from saying, people go from saying bath to bath.
0: Yeah. And that's
3: called the trap bath
0: split. Right. Okay.
3: Now, unlike many other um, lines, that, that one seems to be very, very stable. And one of the reasons for that is it is, it is like the surface of a bubble. And like bubbles, it gets trapped by indentations. Okay? So the indentations in the coastline on the east and west coast hold the bubble in place. And whatever forces there are from the southeast trying to push the bubble north, and, and lots of other bubbles have been pushed north, um, it, it's being stopped. And so, so there's, there's the indentation effect, and there's also the effect that because that line divides the country roughly in half, the migration from the north and the migration from the south have a, approximately an equal effect. So there's no net push on the bubble. Right. Whereas other other things, that's not true of other variants. So once you're once you're down to quite a small um, um, area of the country, if you've got a, a linguistic feature which is covering quite a small area it's much more vulnerable to migration because most of the people coming in aren't using it and so when the children in the area are learning they're exposed to a lot of um, alternative ways of uh, alternative features and that can disrupt the learning process and you, you lose the feature.
0: And and what's of just finally Dr Burrage is there anything that can be done to stop the decline of the distinctive northern accent uh uh, 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 clearly people are going to continue to move around the country obviously the mobility will continue although perhaps post-pandemic a lot of people may be working from home in future but is there anything do you think that can halt this
2: well
3: so uh, there are lots of things that um push accents in different directions you know push particular features up and down in popularity so i mean other than people just stopping moving um pride pride in the accent and the accent having a, a social status and being desirable amongst local people and seen as a seen as something you want to demonstrate that you have that that that's the key you know yeah. so that can overcome the migration effect if people are proud of their accent and in fact there are examples in linguistics of this happening so there are there's a place in America Martha's Vineyard where the accent actually reversed after lots of um tourists started coming because the locals wanted to wanted to sort of prove that they were real the real locals
0: yeah so, that, so these
3: these effects can happen if people yeah. if people have enough pride in their accents they could, that can that can fight back against the kind of forces of physics
0: Perhaps we need another Northern Prime Minister in number 10 down the street. We haven't had one since Harold Wilson with his hat and his pipe. He had a very distinctive accent. The last two male Prime Ministers have been Old Etonian. David Cameron went, uh, Tony Blair went to a posh school, Fetters, which was the Scottish Eton. Perhaps that's what we need, Dr Burridge. A Northerner in number 10 who's, uh, who's out and proud about his accent. Or hers, or hers, of course.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, I, that would be great. You know, the North is a great place and. It it it, it deserves to uh, be
0: on the rise. Absolutely, that's Dr. James Burridge, who, like me, speaks with a Southern accent. Who's a reader in probability and statistical physics at the University of Portsmouth on this fascinating research about the demise of the Northern accent. Thanks for joining us. <music> Vegan restaurateurs have been invited to meet British government advisers to discuss how to create plant-based. Fargoire. The Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs is consulting on legislation to outlaw the sale and import of the liver-based spread. I'm joined now by Alexis Gaultier, who runs fine dining restaurant Gaultier Soho, who was invited to speak to the government about his recipe for Fargoire. Now, yours, Alexis, is a vegan recipe. Um, how do you do it?
2: Well, that's that's very simple. We actually um, roast some walnuts. We use some lentils and, um, and onion and soya sauce, and then we, we, we mix it. And with the when we add mushrooms, um, we actually get um, a flavor, a depth of flavor that you is very reminiscent to what you find in, in foie gras in the original recipe. Um, so it's very simple and it's really delicious. And no, 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 no gavage, no, no thinking involved, no, no torture.
0: Well, that's the point, isn't it? Because Farquhar production is illegal in the UK on animal cruelty grounds. Because, bluntly putting it, Alexis, ducks and geese whose livers are harvested are force-fed to make it horrible.
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's an atrocious way to um, to to produce a product. I mean, in fact, a luxury product. Um, geese and and ducks are being force-fed, and I can assure you, they. <laughs> Obviously, they don't want to be force-fed because it's not natural for them, and their liver, the liver becomes ten times the size of what it should be, and uh, and it's 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 awful. There is um, and this has to stop. This
0: really. Yeah, has to stop. because I think I think if I'm right, correct that the the gavage, the force-feeding process, grain is poured into a funnel or tube, thrust down the bird's neck. That's really brutal.
2: Yeah, it's very brutal. And um, although the, the the French will tell you that um, um, uh, the, the the duck and the geese are actually designed to have something <laughs> forced through their throat, it's, it's 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 not true at all. Nobody wants to have a, a piece of plastic uh, down their throat. And as far as I'm concerned they have never asked them. No. <laughs> indeed, <they> <laughs>
0: indeed. Now now yes. now the taste of uh, the 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 traditional fargua is very rich, Alexis. What does your does your taste similar or has it got a completely different flavor?
2: No, the flavor is very similar because right. we used walnut and the walnut is very rich in um, in it's very oily and so it replaces actually the, um, the the fatness of the uh, of the duck but at the end of the day what we eat in foie gras is what the duck has been fed um and it's mainly grains and things they they, they pick, uh, in the in the <laughs> around them um it's it's all natural it's it tastes like um, and our foie, foie gras is really 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 similar to uh, to the normal foie gras uh, again as i said without the help of the the duck or the geese which is wonderful
0: and, and and people who come to your restaurant, I know it's very popular, Gautier Soho, um, are, are, are they ordering the vegan uh, foie gras in, his, in his, the same sort of numbers as they were be- the uh, traditional one?
2: Yeah, absolutely. People come and we actually offer them the, the foie gras because we want to promote this, this yes. product. Um, and and every, I mean, I haven't had anybody who said, oh my gosh, this is, it's, it's, it's truly delicious. It's, and it's, I mean, on the toast, on the, on the toasted sourdough bread and a glass of, uh, of white wine, you, you, you will not see the difference. <laughs> it's actually, um, it's as delicious and as uh, satisfying as, uh, as foie gras.
0: And are you going to? Are you going to? You talk to the government about this. Do you think yes. there's? Will your will your product be? Are you going to market it beyond your restaurant?
2: Well, if there is if there is a demand, of course. I mean, at the moment, I want people to come to my restaurants to to enjoy it and yeah. uh, and to make the effort to <laughs> to travel to to the restaurant. You know, restaurants have had a, a tough eighteen months. Yes, so it's of course. Nice to have them back into the restaurant and 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 promote but i have to say that i'm um, i'm i'm so proud that um that 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 this government is um is is doing what it's doing because you know a modern country like you know great britain wants to be uh, needs to show the way and i know a lot of countries also a lot of people are against foie and they want to see that things are changing things are happening because in 2021 we can live without foie we do not need to have animal um, um you know suffering from 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 and force feed and um, we don't need that and uh, and um, although i'm french i'm also british i'm very proud to be british when yeah when, when, when they are going to to, to ban the fargo once and for all
0: well that's very interesting and um uh, i wonder I, i'm curious because we know that boris johnson likes his food alexis i wonder if he eats fargoire or whether he's ever tried your vegan version Perhaps you should send him
2: I've never sent him um, any, but I can tell you that when I wrote to, um, when I wrote to 10 Downing Streets yeah. um, about a year ago, and I asked um, uh, the Prime Minister, and I personally asked, he actually replied to me. Did he, said, he really? Yes, yes, yes. this is something we are looking into. And I was amazed because, you know, sometimes you write to the Prime Minister just <laughs> yeah. because you're upset with something. But I was amazed. I actually received a letter back and, and 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 things have changed. Things have moved, and um, and so it just shows that sometimes when you really, uh, but when you really believe in something, things happen. But I do think that um, 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 uh, Prime Minister Johnson I think he, he doesn't eat um, um, foie gras
0: No I'm <laughs> and, sure he uh, does
2: him. I will send him a, a jar of foie gras
0: And if he then comes back to you and says he's enjoyed it will you let us know because we'll get you back on the uh, podcast and we can talk about it
2: Yeah absolutely I will
0: Sounds great Alright that's very good to talk to you That's Alexis Gaultier who runs the fine dining restaurant Gaultier in Soho If you haven't tried it you should because it's excellent food That's all we've got time for today. I'll be back with more festive highlights and the show will return in full on January the 4th. I'm Andrew Pearce. Have a good evening and good night.